Good morning, church. It's good to be with you again this morning, and hopefully you have had a chance to gather with somebody to watch this sermon. We are so thankful for everyone who joins us, and if you're a first-time guest, thank you for making time to check us out. We are excited to share the Word of God with you and to worship with you today. And if you want to know more about our church, you can visit our website, SalemHeightsChurch.org. There's all kinds of information about who we are, what we believe, and what we have going on during this season for our church. But uh, we also wanted to just uh, remind you that we love praying for you. And so if you need prayer, you can send an email to prayer at SalemHeightsChurch.org and we will have somebody here at our church, one of our staff or one of our prayer team, pray for your specific request, uh, giving that to the Lord and trusting, trusting that He hears and He cares. Well, it's another great morning to worship God. He is good and he has been meeting our needs. And so join us now as we worship him together.
Father, we believe that. We know that it's only because of your son that anything good has happened in our lives. And we're so thankful that you've given us your son and that you care about us so much. And he cares about us so much that he would give his life for us. God, I would pray that you help us to live in a way that brings honor to you and that honors your son for the sacrifice that he made for us. God, I would pray that you'd help us to reach out to our neighbors in these days, knowing that so many people are, are looking for hope. God, I'm so thankful that you love us and care about us. Pray now that you'd help us as we hear from your word, that you would help us to grow, because that's what you want from us. I pray that you'd help us to do that now in Christ's name. Amen. Well, good morning, church. It's so good to be with you again this morning. and. Uh, if you are first time watching our service, man, we are so glad that you're here. Thank you for joining us. And if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them or turn them on and find Luke chapter 18. And as you're doing that, uh, Pastor Justin, well, we've got a couple of things we wanted to highlight for our, our church um, and a couple of things that we want to make sure they're aware of over the next couple of weeks and months. Uh, the first is that we're going to be uh, continuing to try to encourage folks to meet uh, together uh, with somebody else, another household, some friends, um, neighbors, inviting them into homes to watch the service together. Why, why is that important? Yeah, I think um, there's a couple reasons. The first one is it tells us in Scripture that uh, we need to not forsake the gathering together of believers. If we have an opportunity to get together with other believers, there's actually something that happens between us that stirs up good works, yeah. it stirs up faith. Uh, we are reminded of the truths of Scripture when when we're, when Scripture is opened up and the light of that truth comes uh, forward, other people are there to help us apply it, yeah. push it push it a little deeper into our lives. So it is a, a valuable thing to be in each other's presence. Yeah, and so if you are currently doing that, we're really thankful that you've come together. Perhaps you have room maybe to invite somebody else into that, uh, but if they're not currently yeah. um, meeting with another family. Uh, we'd like to encourage them to do so too. Yeah. They probably know somebody at church. If they're a regular attender, they, there's probably some connection. Yeah. But to prayerfully consider doing that. And, and I would add to that, there, there are actually some folks, and some of you may actually be in a situation where uh, physically you're uh, compromised, and so you would not be able to meet with other people. We're encouraging you to listen to the service, to reflect on the questions at the end, but then be accountable to those. Call somebody, engage with somebody, walk through those questions with some other couple or another individual, uh, and consider what it is that Scripture is saying uh, with another believer, because we do believe that God uses that to drive it home. Yeah. And if they don't have, maybe they're newer to the church, or they're not, they're not really sure who to ask, and they need some help with that, uh, we want to encourage them to contact the church office. They can either call yeah. or email info at salemheightschurch.org and we will help them um, try to find a place yeah. where they could gather with some other folks. Uh, the second thing is we've, we've mentioned last week uh, through our update to the church that we're going to be starting some midweek fire pit kind of prayer times together. Yeah. And our first one's going to be this next Wednesday. Uh, tell us a little bit more about kind of what we're doing and what, why we're wanting to come together. Yeah, one of the great desires that we have is to see some other people face-to-face -face for those that are able to be in uh, public with some other individuals. We're going to be meeting outdoors, mm -hmm. around fire pits, <clears throat> having fellowship time uh, where we're going to reflect on some scriptural statements. We're going to have an opportunity to just praise God for what He's doing in our life, and we're going to be praying for uh, ourselves, for our church, for our nation, 
um, on a, a Wednesday evening yeah. late, so we'll be able to see the, the fire in the fire pit, or maybe even, God willing, see the stars. Uh, but we're going to gather together and have some fellowship. So we're going to provide a sign-up for that yeah. uh, at the church website. Yeah, and so space will be somewhat limited, although we're trying to set up for at least about 200 people at a time, spread out all over our parking lots. But you're going to want to make sure you RSVP on the church website yeah. for that, and uh, we're hoping to see a lot of people there. Uh, the last one is that, you know, VBS has been a staple. This is the, the week where we would have had VBS, yeah. and uh, obviously that got adjusted. But our, our children's ministry team uh, has put together a format for a backyard Bible club that we're inviting folks to participate That's in. That's awesome. And so if you are a family that would like to maybe invite some uh, children uh, from your neighborhood or other families that you know uh, to your house, for a backyard Bible club, we have everything you would need to do that. Um, and so you can go online and register for that, and we will uh, give you all the information, the lessons, the crafts, the snacks. And really what we're asking you to do is to invite some kids to come over for three days for about an hour in your backyard. And the theme is the handful of hope. And so we're going to tell the gospel uh, to the kids. And you might not have kids in the home, but you might have neighborhood kids or, or friends that you would know. Um, this is really open to anybody in our church, awesome. and so they can register online for more information or to say, hey, I need the information in the kit, and we'll get that to them. Awesome. So, well, this morning we are in part three of our series, Faithful Prayers of Fractured Lives, and this morning uh, we're going to be focusing on Luke 18, but we're going to kind of jump around to a few other places in Scripture. And, and Pastor Justin, um, the, the topic that's going to be addressed in here, there's a, a word that we're going to be talking about that potentially could, in light of just kind of our world right now, potentially trigger us a little bit. Yeah. Uh, tell us what that word is and how we want to approach it. Well, the word is justice, um, and Jesus is actually telling this parable to a group of people. It's in the context of uh, his return with the kingdom. So he's already described for them the world's going to get pretty wonky, mm -hmm. right? It's going to yeah. be all messed up, and he's going to return, and there's judgment that is on the heels of that return. Uh, it's coming soon, but he says, I want you to pray without ceasing. Mm. And he gives a parable that we're about to read about a widow who was seeking justice from an unrighteous judge. So in a world that does not care at all about your situation, how do I find justice? But because that word is in there and it's so prominent right now right. in our right. culture, we, we just wanted to give a, a biblical definition before we read that yeah. of justice. Then we'll read the parable mm. and, and I would like us to then uh, watch a video that we've already used one time during this season uh, from the Bible Project. And we've used some of their stuff yeah. because uh, they've given us access to it. Right. So it's a good way to, to walk through it. But the biblical definition of justice, or the one that really uh, is brought to bear in this passage, is this. Justice is to declare the rightness of an individual's claim. So to have somebody look at your claim and declare that's right. Yeah. Uh, so seeking justice is to seek somebody to agree with you that your claim is just. And secondly, to receive retribution for a crime. So if something has been perpetrated against you, uh, you get retribution for that. You, you'll get a payment or they make things right, however that is possible. Mm -hmm. So in this parable, there is somebody who is seeking that, that somebody would say, your claim is just and I'm going to make it right. Yeah. And so Jesus is speaking here, and he's going to talk to them about how they should 
respond when they find themselves in this kind of situation. So let's look at our passage for this morning. Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 1. Now he told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not give up. There was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God or respect people. And a widow in that town kept coming to him saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he was unwilling, but later he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or respect people, yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. Then the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay helping them? I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a profound question. Mm -hmm. Once again, I, I think we need to, first of all, understand justice, but then look at this parable and what Jesus is saying is going on and how, in fact, it's not our situation We have a better situation in light of our relationship with Christ, and he helps us sort out what we should do with our current reality. But let's watch a video on the biblical perspective of justice. If you were a praying mantis, it would be socially acceptable to devour your mate. And if you're a honey badger, you have no regard for other animals. You don't care. If you're a panda with twins, it's normal to abandon one to take care of the other. But if humans do any of these things, we would call it wrong, unfair, or unjust. Yeah, why is that? Why do humans care so much about justice? Well, the Bible has a fascinating response to that question. On page one, humans are set apart from all other creatures as the image of God. Yeah, God's representatives who rule the world by his definition of good and evil. And this identity, it's the bedrock of the Bible's view of justice. All humans are equal before God and have the right to be treated with dignity and fairness no matter who you are. And that would be nice if we all did that, but we know how the world really works. And the Bible addresses that too. It shows how we are constantly redefining good and evil to our own advantage at the expense of others. Yeah, self-preservation. And the weaker someone is, the easier it is to take advantage of them. And so in the biblical story, we see this happening on a personal level, but also in families and then in communities and in whole civilizations that create injustice, especially towards the vulnerable. But the story doesn't end there. Out of this whole mess, God chose a man named Abraham to start a new kind of family. Specifically, Abraham was to teach his family to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Yeah, doing righteousness, that's a Bible word I don't really use, but what comes to mind is being a good person. But what does that even mean, being good? The biblical Hebrew word for righteousness is tzedakah, and it's more specific. It's an ethical standard that refers to right relationships between people. It's about treating others as the image of God. With the God-given dignity they deserve. And this word justice, it's the Hebrew word mishpat, It can refer to retributive justice. Like if I steal something, I pay the consequences. Exactly. 
Yet most often in the Bible, mishpat refers to restorative justice. It means going a step further, actually seeking out vulnerable people who are being taken advantage of and helping them. Yeah, some people call this charity. But mishpat involves way more. It means taking steps to advocate for the vulnerable and changing social structures to prevent injustice. So justice and righteousness are about a radical, selfless way of life. Yeah, and you find this idea all over the Bible. Like here in the book of Proverbs, what does it mean to bring about just righteousness? Open your mouth for those who can't speak for themselves. And what do these words mean for the prophets like Jeremiah? Rescue the disadvantaged and don't tolerate oppression or violence against the immigrant, the orphan, and the widow. And like here, look in the book of Psalms. The Lord God upholds justice for the oppressed, gives food to the hungry, and sets the prisoner free but he thwarts the way of the wicked. Whoa, he thwarts the wicked? Yeah, in Hebrew, the word wicked is rasha. It means guilty or in the wrong. It refers to someone who mistreats another human, ignoring their dignity as an image of God. So justice and righteousness is a big deal to God. Yes, it's what Abraham's family, the Israelites, were to be all about. They ended up as immigrant slaves, being oppressed unjustly in Egypt. And so God confronted Egypt's evil, declaring them to be rasha, guilty of injustice. And so he rescued Israel. But the tragic irony of the Old Testament story is that these redeemed people went on to commit the same acts of injustice against the vulnerable. And so God sent prophets who declared Israel guilty. But they weren't the only ones. There's injustice everywhere. Yeah, some people actively perpetrate injustice. Others receive benefits or privileges from unjust social structures they take for granted. And sadly, history has shown that when the oppressed gain power, they often become oppressors themselves. So we all participate in injustice, actively or passively, even unintentionally. We're all the guilty ones. And so this is the surprising message of the biblical story. God's response to humanity's legacy of injustice is to give us a gift, the life of Jesus. He did righteousness and justice, and yet he died on behalf of the guilty. But then God declared Jesus to be the righteous one when he rose from the dead. And so now Jesus offers his life to the guilty so that they too can be declared righteous before God, not because of anything they've done, but because of what Jesus did for them. The earliest followers of Jesus experienced this righteousness from God, not just as a new status, but as a power that changed their lives and compelled them to act in surprising new ways. Yeah, if God declared someone righteous when they didn't deserve it, the only reasonable response is to go and seek righteousness and justice for others. This is a radical way of life, and it's not always convenient or easy. It's courageously making other people's problems my problems. This is what Jesus meant by loving your neighbor as yourself. It's about a lifetime commitment fueled by the words of the ancient prophet Micah. God has told you, humans, what is good and what the Lord requires of you is to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Pastor, that that video really does kind of paint a a kind of comprehensive view of justice. Um, But as we kind of look at this text, in this passage, uh, Jesus is using a parable to kind of contrast 
some pretty opposite ends. Yeah. And so what are, what are some of the things that Jesus is trying to teach us through the use of a parable? Yeah, and in fact, I, I think here what he's actually doing is he's using some pretty strong contrasts between what is in the parable and what is reality. Yeah. And the first one is in the parable, we have a judge that's unjust, but the reality is that judge is supposed to be a picture of the living God. Well, he is actually perfectly just. He is perfectly righteous and he perfectly cares. Mm -hmm. So the unjust judge is the contrast where he says, imagine in the most ridiculous case, you have somebody you're presenting your case to that doesn't care at all. Mm -hmm. The reality is, and he's lifting this up, God actually does care. He does, yeah. So he gives us a contrast, says worst case scenario, you present it to an unjust judge. Yeah. But the second contrast that he has here is, uh, it actually says that there is a, a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. That's all she says. Mm -hmm. The request is actually perfect. Just give me what is right, she says. But in reality, what we do, this is another contrast, is we don't ever just ask for what's right. We say, will you make this right and will you kill them, take their stuff, give it to me, ruin right. them, bless me. Right. We always have a little bit of we're vindictive. Mm -hmm. So we have uh, not just retribution, but we actually have revenge in our mind. Sure. So her request is perfect. Ours tends to be uh, filled with anger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the third thing that's kind of exaggerated in here is she has no faith um, and she has no other option. Her family hasn't surrounded her. Uh, there's no children, it says, to bring her. Here's a widow that is completely without other means. She has to follow him from place to place, so it's not even in her own home location. Um, the assumption made here is that she's left destitute without him deciding on her. So she's broke and following him from place to place and plagues him because she has no other option. She has no faith that this is gonna work, but this is her last shot. Mm -hmm. But in our situation, we, we actually have multiple options and our faith is on display by choosing this option as the best one among many. So he uses this kind of exaggeration in the parable to force us to see our plight is not as bleak as this poor widow's. Yeah. But in this case, the widow actually gets justice. Yeah. So in the most bleak, ridiculous situation, she gets justice by just saying, I'm going to keep going. Why don't you believe that God will give you justice who is good and even can see through some of the ridiculous nature of your requests? Why don't you just come to him? Right. So Jesus here, in the immediate context prior, he's, he's having conversations, he's yeah. teaching, and he's getting asked about the kingdom. He's being asked to speak to all these things that they were looking forward to. Yeah. And so Jesus is trying to explain to them that he's here to offer himself as a, as a sacrifice, yeah. and that there is a kingdom that's going to come, but there's going to be a time period in between those two th th realities. Yeah. And during that time, things are going to get worse here on earth. Yeah. And now he's giving us a blueprint for when we are living in a world where it is full of injustice, yeah. how should followers, the faithful, respond? And so in this text, we see him kind of highlight this contrast, but then we have these kind of takeaways. Yeah. If this is true, if in, the, in a season, in a world, in a culture that is unjust, and injustice is going all over the world, but yet God is a just God who cares and hears and will respond, what are the things that he wants us to remember 
if we're living that's in that That's the question. Yeah, that is the question. So the first thing we see is that if God is just, which he presents here that he is, by contrast, then man can rest. Yeah. What does that mean? Well, we have uh, here a widow, and she can't rest. She has to go from place to place because the judge just won't hear her, won't make it right, won't take care of it. Mm. She is the picture of uh, despondent yeah. in this passage. But if you have a just judge and you have a right ask mm -hmm. in that scenario, then you actually can settle down. But it's because God is just and we know he will take care of it that we can settle. Mm -hmm. there, there was actually something we were talking about, uh, a guy, yeah. uh, Miroslav Volf. Uh, he's been quoted by a whole lot of folks, but uh, he's actually was living among uh, Croatians and Serbians uh, and was dealing with this conflict between them. And uh, he's describing uh, the, just the horrors of war. Mm -hmm. So one group has come against another and they've done wicked things. Right. And in retribution, seeking justice, this group has gone against them and done the exact same thing. And then one group that has been oppressed rises up and becomes the oppressor, and then the other one does the same. And we see that's human nature. Right. And all these atrocities have happened for generations, not just recent history, but it never ends. Mm -hmm. And he says, so how, how do you speak to these people about justice when it's just everywhere? And he said this, I actually believe that nonviolence is the answer, he says, and I preach nonviolence. He says, but my thesis that the practice of nonviolence requires a belief in the divine vengeance will be unpopular with many Christians, especially theologians in the West. To the person who is inclined to dismiss it, I suggest imagining that you are delivering a lecture in a war zone, which is where a paper that underlies this chapter was originally delivered. Among your listeners are people whose cities and villages have been plundered and then burned and leveled to the ground, whose daughters and sisters, and I'm just going to insert here, have experienced the horrible violences of war, yeah. as well as uh, their fathers and brothers. The topic of the lecture is a Christian attitude toward violence. The thesis you're presenting we should not retaliate since God is perfect, non coercive in his love. Soon, you would discover that it takes the quiet of a suburban home for the birth of the thesis that nonviolence corresponds to God's refusal to judge. In a scorched land, soaked in the blood of the innocent, it will invariably die. As one watches it die, one would do well to reflect about many other pleasant captivities of the liberal mind. Mm -hmm. What is he saying? He says, when you tell them that we shouldn't be violent because God isn't violent and they've only experienced violence, they're saying, well, who's going to make this right? If God doesn't have violence, mm -hmm. well, then if I take violence to those people, I actually don't have anybody that's going to judge me. There's nobody I'm going to stand in front of, so I need to go make this right. If it's never going to be made right, I'm going to go do it. Yeah. But if God is judge, and he will judge, and he'll make it right, he will cause them to pay rightly for those things that they have done, then I can lay down my arms because he'll take care of it. Now I can have peace because how God handles it is going to be way more intense than I could ever meter out the justice. Right. But he said this idea, he says, he says it's born in the West because he spent time over here. But he said in a suburban home where you just hear the, the, the singing in the kitchen and 
the kindness of mom. And she says, no, make sure you share your stuff. And we don't have any real reason behind it other than it's the right thing to do. He says, that doesn't fix it on the battlefield. If God is a righteous judge and he is in fact a judge that takes care of things, then we can trust him mm -hmm. to take care of it. We'll lay down our arms. How does that fix it? The text, the fact is, when we know that God is not only righteous, but he's a judge that will make it right, it's not just a passive prayer. We're not just asking him to, to write something in our account that says you were right in your request. He's actually gonna make it right. Mm -hmm. If we believe that, it settles us mm -hmm. and we can, we can rest. It's super important because even, even in knowing that God is able to hold things accountable and that he is a just God, um, we can still find ourselves struggling on the inside. Yeah. I think even right now in our culture, it's like we, we know God is in control. We believe that. We're clinging to his word, and yet it's hard not to get overwhelmed by the news and by yeah. the social media and by the opinions that we just see driving through town. And, yeah. And yet his promises here is like, I'm not an unjust judge who's just kind of not listening to you. If you talk to me, if you come to me, and you trust that I, I have this under control, that is going to be the thing that settles. Yeah. And, and I think that you bring up a good point. That sense of unease can still continue even in a prayer-filled believer. Yeah. Um, we, we recently had a need for someone in the family to go through a procedure, go to the doctor. Yeah. They're fine. There's nothing to worry <laughs> about. Um, but while they're there, we, we, you can't go in right now in this season. You can't go into... Um, join them in right. the doctors but what was a really interesting thing what we're working through that and, and I've got to leave that individual at the door right but the doctor comes out and says this is why it's necessary this is what we're gonna do and I will be with them all the way through yeah right so is it still unnerving to be in a doctor's office yeah. I, I have never enjoyed it I still won't <laughs> Uh, I'm still unnerved, but the settling thing is this person's going to walk me through this so they know what to do. They can handle the situation. There's nothing else for me to be anxious about. There is a sense of where I'm settled, even if I'm still in an uneasy place. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think scripture is saying. It's not saying that you're going to take away all of the uproar, right. but you will be calm in the middle of a storm. Yeah. And so you can come to a God who is just, who has the ability to uphold justice, yeah. and you can trust that he is going to, in the end, he's going to make it all right. Yeah. He's going to make it yeah. all right. The second thing that we see uh, from this text that Jesus is highlighting by contrast is that injustice will increase as faith grows cold. Yeah. You know, I think uh, in our world, we, we, that's the question. Why is this just seeming, why is everything spiraling? Why is it that we just can't get along? Yeah. Um, what do you think Jesus is trying to highlight here? Well, I, I think he's highlighting reality. We, we always find ourselves at war with Scripture and say, well, it doesn't mean that, or that's not where it's headed. But Jesus actually told us, you know, in the end, there's going to be wars, rumors of wars, brother against brother, yeah. nation against nation. It's going to turn into chaos. Yeah. And it actually says that the love of some will grow cold in Matthew 25. He, he warns us that we're actually going to watch believers or so-called believers right. begin to look to other means and mm -hmm. lose their heart. Yeah. But also injustice will be on the rise. Why? The indication of this passage is that uh, prayer 
And in particular, prayer to God about injustice is a sign of faith. And he asks a question at the end, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? Why would he ask that question? Because if the marker of faith is that injustice has shrunk because you've come to me, well, that means injustice is on the rise because you refuse to come to me. So injustice gets worse. Our faith grows cold. We quit going to him and we start looking to other means to fix it. And the whole, it turns into a big, messy ball of lack of bliss, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, it's a mess. Well, and that's what he's highlighting in chapter 17 when he says it's going to be like the days of Noah. And yes. if you go back to Genesis, it says that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. There wasn't anything that their flesh yeah. desired that they said, no, I can't do that. They just lived to indulge the flesh. And injustice is the result of yeah. one person saying, my wants, my desires, my comforts are more important than yours. And me achieving those um, means I'm going to do that at all costs, even if that means I treat you harshly or I use you. It's yeah. really a manifestation of the flesh. It's sin. It's selfishness. Yeah. And in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul highlights this, um, kind of reiterating what Christ is teaching us here. He says this, but know this, hard times will come in the last days. Mm. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, mm. unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers mm. of pleasure rather than lovers of God. This is what has been predicted will be the result yeah. of man living for himself. And this is what is the cause of injustice, is one man elevating himself so over everyone else. Yeah, That's not what God has called us to. No. In fact, what he says is they'll have a form of godliness, but deny its power. <laughs> yeah. uh, that means that you're going to actually see a bunch of people acting this way. And don't we see that even right now? They're angry, they're belligerent, they're looking at every other thing, they're focused on their own opinion, they're focused on their own irritations. <clears throat> Everything is, you, you hear their irritations before you ever hear a prayerful thought. Right. You have all this irritation and bother that is rising, form of godliness, what? I go to church, I say something about God, I say, yeah, we ought to make sure that the Lord's name is used here or there, but I don't have any power, where's the power? It's actually here, in faith, on our knees, and allowing the Spirit of God to drive our speech and our actions. We can't energize the Spirit of God unless we get on our knees. Right. And we're in the Word. Right. But they're denying that power. They're running to their own opinion. Right. And the world will go in a terrible place quick when that happens. And this is where, again, we, we can push and wrangle against Scripture, but it's clear the works of the flesh will never accomplish what no. God has purposed. No. And that can only be produced if we are submitting to Him, living in the Spirit, yeah which is the result of faith, trusting Him before I trust myself for anything else that He has created. Yeah. The last thing we wanted to highlight here that we see Christ is kind of teaching us through this contrast of a parable is that persistent prayer is the key to perseverance. This yeah. widow, uh, you know, the, the story, the focus isn't just about this widow. It's a yeah. contrast, but she is persistent. Um, we don't see that persistence rebuked, but for a believer persistence shouldn't be driven by fear, but by faith. Yeah, and that's, that's actually the whole entire point. When he says, um, hear what the unrighteous judge says, uh, he's actually saying that the unrighteous judge has a good opinion here. So he's wrong in a whole lot of areas, but he's right here. This widow 
needs satisfaction because of her constant presence, and I'm going to give it to him. He says, hear that, and now look at a righteous judge, the living God. He, he wants you to continually come to him, but he's not going to do it you know, just out of irritation. He's not going to say, oh, man, they're, they're bugging me again with this request. I'll give it to him. What he's saying is, you come to me like a loving father, as a child that is in his presence. How much more am I going to take care of what you are asking? How am I going to, I'm going to lead you. So hear what he says, and I will give you justice. That idea gives us strength. Mm. The ability to persevere, knowing that it's not wasted. We don't have to batter him down. We can present our requests to God, and he's going to shape those perfectly. Yeah for our life and for what needs to happen in the world. Yeah. And so we go to him because he truly is the only one that cares, the yeah. only one that is going to really care for us. Yeah. We can look for other people to care for us and be constantly let down. Yeah. But he is saying, continue to come to me. This is consistent in Scripture again. Where it's he his says, character. Throw this all at me. Cast your cares upon me. Yeah. Come to me when you're anxious. Put, give it all to me because yeah. I care for you. Yeah, in fact, in Psalm 56, it actually uses an illustration of caring that has been consistent in God's nature from the very beginning. It says, you've kept my tears in a bottle. Mm. And it's the idea that when I'm weeping and I'm in the darkest place, they would use uh, bottles for their tears when they were weeping the loss of a loved one or when their nation had been torn from them or when there was destruction that happens to a village. Mm -hmm. They would actually put their tears in a bottle as an actual thing uh, in Roman times they actually find graves where the the tear bottles were buried with the individual and they would hire professional mourners mm. to come along and not only weep collect those but they would have other people cry they would fill up tear bottles for them to give as an offering it was a known thing but in in victorian times they also did this and they had a joke that said that somebody was so sad a widow was so sad uh, that she didn't need any help filling her tear bottle mm. she could do it on her own why is that important? Because in Scripture, what it actually says is that God, the God of the universe, you don't have to hire a professional mourner. You don't have to hire somebody else to weep with you or to carry your tears. He actually comes down from the heavens, and he's the one collecting the tears, reminding, he, he's reminding you of the hardship you went through and that he's walking with you. He's there, unlike any other God that's ever been worshipped. He's walking with us and cares uniquely, not like the unjust judge. He actually is so concerned. He carries the tears in a bottle and they're before him. Mm -hmm. He remembers your pain. He's walking with you through it and he's going to make sure it's right. Mm -hmm. Just like a parent that's deeply concerned about an injustice that's been enacted on his kids. Um, so is our loving father. Yeah. He, he is carrying that with him. Yeah. And so if we were to kind of wrap this up this morning, in a time when you live with injustice in, in the world or you are the victim or the, the recipient of unjust treatment. Yeah. This parable is designed for how the faithful should respond to yeah. injustice that they see or injustice that happens to them. And the first thing is again that we can rest, that God ultimately yeah. sees it, He cares, and He will right all the wrongs. That we need to may be focused not on vengeance or revenge, but on faith, that we need to continue to trust God and that the evidence of that faith yeah. is going to be in persistent prayer, coming to Him and saying, God, I need to continue to trust you in this. Help me to respond right Absolutely. Yeah.
So we have a couple of questions as we want to kind of gather people together. Uh, maybe it's right now if they're gathered with somebody, or maybe this week they can call someone up and say, hey, can we get together and talk about the message? But this is an important one, I think, for us to unpack with another person yeah, this week. absolutely. And so what are some of the things we, we want to encourage and maybe to consider? Well, I think the first question that we had outlined that I think would be really helpful um, is this. What concerns on the world scene do we need to bring before the Lord? That's the question we should ask the room. Yeah. What concerns on the world scene? And uh, there is going to be uh, the social justice acts aspect. There's going to totally. be political concerns. There's yeah. going to be, uh, there should be uh, concerns about faith. We're, we're watching two things happen simultaneously. A disregard for faith at a high level, mm -hmm. right? Advertised everywhere. But a growing sense of revival where it seems like God's kind of stacking the kindling to light this place on fire and have real faith erupt out of the ashes of what's been going on. Yeah. What, what should we be praying for? Um, when we see everything that is happening in the world, what are the concerns that we need to be on our knees for? And uh, what do we need to have our eyes open to so that we can join the right uh, scenario? Yeah. I think this might be helpful and just to hear from other people because there's probably, uh, we have the things that really can continue to flash in front of our eyes and in yeah. our minds. There's actually a lot more that we probably need to be taking to the Lord. And, and let me just add one thing uh, for, for those who, who may be concerned that asking this question is just going to invite a political discussion or a tirade about one side or the other of each of the debates that are going on there. We're believers, so hear each other out, but also be mindful of your audience in the room and think through how it is that you represent what is afflicting your heart. We should be able to pour our concerns out to the Father, but also speak plainly with those that we love, uh, that we really uh, revere. So take time to actually share your thoughts, but be mindful that if your thoughts are not the same as the other thoughts in the room, uh, that instead of just joining into conflict the way the world does, present why you're concerned about that, and then together with everybody else there, agree that, man, these are things we need to lift up to the Lord right. and ask Him to sort it out. But be mindful. Uh, we should come out of this more unified, not more irritated as we pray. Yeah, it's so important. Uh, the second thing we'd love for you guys to talk about is to, or, uh, to take time to contrast the difference between what settles the world and what settles the believer. Yeah. Uh, this is an important thing for us to consider to, to kind of see it because if we're not careful, we might actually fall into the trap of trying to settle ourselves with a method that we see yeah. people trying to use, but actually doesn't bring us any peace. Yeah, and I would identify those means, the things that we're seeing be used in the world and how they either are successful or unsuccessful, but then identify what it is that God is actually saying. He's not just saying, get on your knees and then get rid of, of responsibility. Yeah. But he's asking you to start on your knees and get your responsibility list from him yeah. instead of your own opinion. Yeah. So, yeah, contrast the difference between what the world says and what believers yeah. are to do. And so after you've done that, we want to encourage all the groups to actually take time this is to pray. With this passage, yep. our morning, we've been talking about prayer. Yeah. Uh, but then we wanted them to do one more thing after they pray together. What's that? Yeah, so we're going to pray and pray about the list that has been formed. And you'll be able to feel some of the agitation that happens. Pray. But then after you get done praying, take a moment and register what's happened in your heart. Yeah. As you leave all those things before the living God, just now say, okay, what just happened? And, and sense 
as he replaces your agitation with peace, just thank him for that. And, and ask yourself, how, how do I feel yeah. when I present this to the Lord? It, does this move me forward in a right state of yeah. mind? I think we all know that this is not a one-time action where yeah. I just pray once and then I never have to fret over it again. The call here is to continue to be persistent in prayer. Yeah. And God is going to be faithful to meet that need. Yeah. Well, will you pray for our church? Yeah. As they uh, get prepared to pray together. Yeah, let's pray. Father, we do ask that you would, especially today as we begin to pray this, that you would open our eyes to what justice is, that you would open our eyes to what it is we should do as believers. Father, that you'd make us one heart with you. Uh, that as we look at all of the chaos that's going on in our world, as we look at chaos in the political scene, as we look at uh, social concerns, as we look at the, the health crisis that we're facing, when we look at the, those that are impoverished that are around us, uh, the, the world is in an agitated and overwhelmed state. What would you have us do? That is the question. Father, what actual real action should we be about? Guide us. Point us to your word, but also make us fervent in prayer and quick to act when you lead. We thank you that we can trust you to guide. Uh, you've not left us without a witness. And Father, we put our whole case in your hands and we ask mm -hmm. that you would lead us, show us, settle us, so that we can be a picture of your grace and goodness to a world that's hurting. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.